Hi, welcome to episode three of the Port to Port podcast. This is Gordon Rennie, your host, and today I had the pleasure of catching up with Alexander Varvarenko. Alexander's the CEO of Shipnext, and in this chat we, we talked about everything from digitalization in the industry, blockchain, what's involved in creating an algorithm, and the challenges in starting up a, a marine tech startup. It was incredible for me, and I hope it is for you too. Enjoy. Alexander, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, really appreciate your time. Obviously, my introduction won't do as won't do you so any justice so if you don't mind if you can introduce yourself and, and tell the, the listeners who, who you are and a bit about yourself uh yes hello gordon uh yeah i'm uh, pleased to be at your interview i am a founder of Shipnext, which is a global shipping marketplace and a freight tendering uh, platform um i am uh, 22 years in shipping and uh um well i'm well known for um uh, being uh, active in uh, both uh, sea freight uh, of uh, heavy and oversized goods, as well as uh, commodity shipping. But I'm also recently known as a speaker on digitalization, blockchain, um, uh, shipping uh, transformation, and uh, basically as a founder of Shipnext. Excellent. Well, yeah, as I say, th- thanks for thanks for joining us. It's, it's exciting. It's a, it's a very exciting time and. In the shipping industry, um, globally with, with the with digital uh, digitalization, it was one of the other podcasts we had uh, a company who um, essentially they they're at the forefront as well, Cordex. Um, now you, your your background obviously it goes it goes back a lot further than the the digital times we live in now within shipping. Where did you where did you begin your journey within the shipping industry? I started in uh, 1998 uh, when I was uh, um, as a, as a young software developer. Um, I decided to finally join the university um, de- dedicated to shipping and transport. Um, uh, so I went to Ukraine, where uh, at that time the the, the I found uh, a very um, uh, good uh, opportunity to to study at the at the uh, Ukrainian National Maritime University which is quite um, uh, diverse and uh, well-known. And then later on, I studied in uh, Southampton um, in the Institute of uh, Chartered Shipbrokers and finally started working in a shipping company, in a shipping agency, actually, first uh, in Antwerp. Um, and uh, since then, in uh, 2000, I, uh, I started my, uh, my uh, working career in, uh, in Antwerp um, as, you know, and, and uh, progressed. Wow. So... It's, it's it's amazing. I, I didn't actually realize that you'd come in as a, a software developer to start with. So yeah. this is just a case of marrying up the two skills because I, I suppose we, we can get to it anyway. But um, one of my questions was going to be, how did you find the, the, the or even looking at the balance of the company and, and the, the people you've got involved, it's very heavily weighted um, within Shipnext towards um, software development and obviously the, the tech stack side of things. Um, so when you obviously you finished up in Southampton and then you your first job, what what were you doing? Uh, I started off as a as a sales um, uh, uh, sales guy at um, at a shipping agency, calling clients, uh, trying to find container car, containerized cargo on different lines uh, our company represented. And later on, I joined um, a Belgian shipping company, uh, which was uh, working as a as a partner of Clipper Elite. Carriers, a Danish uh, shipping company, uh, 
operating under CEC lines, which uh, ran several uh, semi-liner services uh, within Europe, Middle East, uh, eventually in, in Middle East, um, uh, transporting heavy and oversized goods. Right, okay. And then... Uh, and, then uh, and then later on, I was invited to work uh, in Ukraine uh, in 2006 when everything was uh, blooming. I, um, I went over to, to Ukraine where I headed a, um, a, a, a new division in a large uh, industrial group uh, dedicated to shipping and, um, you know, developed uh, that for uh, three years and, and then eventually took a loan and I started my own shipping company in 2009. Right, and wow. since uh, Varamar has uh, grown into a diversified shipping company with uh, today seven offices, um, Vancouver, Hamburg, Genoa, uh, Limassol, Odessa, Ukraine, and uh, uh, Dubai, uh, and eventually now um, also Shipnext. So that was a career. Yeah, I mean, it's how was your jump when you started your own business? How did, how did you... I take it must be nerve wracking, especially if you're taking it taking it on loans. But was it a was it a buoyant market at the time when you when you did that? Well, I did that when uh, everything crashed. In fact, in two thousand nine, you yeah. probably uh, heard of that uh, big crash in the industry at that time. And uh, yeah, that was uh, challenging times. Um, and uh, I I was sure that we had to find the, our niche. Uh, I was only twenty eight back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had to be, because I was stuck in Ukraine at that time as a Belgian, I had to uh, find a way how being in Ukraine would make me more competitive and stronger um, than uh, the well-established companies. And at that time, you remember, there was still Beluga, there was still Scantrons, there was still Clipper Elite Carriers. Um, there were still, uh, well, many other players um, that later on... Um, um, went uh, out of business, so uh, we found that niche, and um, and so we uh, and so we grew. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, and then, were you always? Did you do? You, do you think that when you look back? Obviously, we're a good few years on from that now. But do you think when you look back, did you always have an inclination towards looking at what was what was or where the potential was within the, taking technology within what you were doing the day to day? Well, I always saw uh, ourselves very um, inefficient trying to cope uh, with all the email flow, yeah, to keep up with the email flow. Uh, and as you remember, uh, they slowly and slowly increased uh, over time from the moment it all started in the 90s up to uh, uh, the mid, you know, early 2000 when uh, everybody switched completely over to emails and e internet. And... Um, you know, it's it was a challenge receiving those uh, emails, looking for data, and uh, and still uh, still is for many companies. And of course, uh, when I started my own business, I saw that regardless of how many managers I, I employed, and uh, no matter what their skill or experience or age or um, or sex is, uh, they 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 still go through the same process of uh, reading emails and looking for. Uh, repetitive uh, data or, or, you know, basically um, uh, data on ports and ships until they can make uh, decisions. And um, that uh, vicious circle escalates with uh, the many managers you, you employ. 
And uh, that was one of the problems I wanted to solve. And another problem was that, you know, visiting all these uh, conferences and, and exhibitions, we, of course, collected a lot of business cards. And eventually, uh, we did get more re requests. But because of this flow of data, because of these um, uh, continuous email uh, flows, we, we just simply couldn't uh, swallow more business. We, sometimes we didn't even have time to respond to new clients uh, with a simple uh, no for an answer. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, later on, they said, well, uh, you know, uh, we wrote you an email, but uh, we didn't get any reply. And of course, with, when, when your company receives 5,000 emails a day, it's hard to re respond with a no to uh, uh, the, bigger, the bigger part of them. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's the overwhelm fact, I suppose, with, uh, and there's so many, I mean, there'll be so many people within the industry that have the exact same problem, but there might not be a solution there. So, so, and taking that then, at what point did you, or when did you realize that you wanted to do, or you obviously realized you wanted to do something different, but what steps did you take? Did you put something together yourself? some ideas like how what was the time frame for, for for trying to come up with the solution well when i first came up with the idea unfortunately uh it wasn't technically possible and this is why many startups who started early too early they they all failed because um, the technology wasn't there uh the natural language processing the machine learning technology was simply not capable of uh, of doing what uh, eventually we all wanted needed to do and therefore and therefore, uh, indeed, um, the, early, the, the, the idea was much earlier than I could physically do something. And then um, with time, uh, with the self-funding uh, that I had at, at the time and the team that I built up, uh, we had all the li missing links, including the um, business analytics and, uh, and the, the, the PhD in the business modeling and uh, mathematical programming that, that we have, we had all the missing parts to eventually build something that nobody else uh, could at the time. So that, that was how we decided eventually to in, involve ourselves into this, uh, into this um, project. Right, okay. When was that then? When did you start? When did you push the button? Well, we pushed the button, as you say, um, in 2016. Um, and... Uh, by then, I already had a, a digital team because this wasn't uh, the first project we we uh, we launched. Uh, so we we did uh, uh, involve ourselves in a in a in a previous previously in a different project, which was uh, uh, active uh, at the time. And then we took our digital team. We completed uh, the team with the PhD in business modeling and business analytics, and we uh, we started off in uh, mid two thousand sixteen. Right. Okay. I at that point, so obviously, as you're saying, initially, you weren't capable of, or not that you weren't capable, sorry, that the, the capabilities weren't there to support you to realize what you wanted ship next to look like. When you when you had the digital team in place and you built out your offering, I imagine how hard it would have been to try and take it to market and to, to gain acceptance within the market, to to have people also understand what, what's possible. Would that be the case? Would I be right saying that or my way off? Well, people still don't uh, always understand what uh, what uh, what is needed or where the market goes to uh, or you know where it's heading. 
and what uh, changes will take place. Yeah, so this is an ongoing process. You can't expect everybody to be on the same page from day one. Uh, yeah. We, we yeah, saw this trend. Uh, we saw a lot of bankruptcies in the in the uh, industry because of uh, uh, this problem. So as you know, uh, larger companies were always inefficient, and and so when they con connected people from different offices or did M and A's and and uh, connected different companies in in the group. This data uh, flow was simply too large to, to swallow, so their their fleet uh, was managed inefficiently, and eventually, and eventually uh, these companies closed down. Some companies closed down because of internal um, corruption or uh, or stealing. Even I, I wouldn't know, tell you the company names, but uh, people know in this industry. Some companies were just too large uh, to manage, um, and and sometimes uh, some of them were just inefficient, right? So when you have uh, 40, 50 managers sitting in different offices, and and uh, and especially when you join other teams, you simply don't know what your other colleague in another office may need at that time, or what combination of cargos he sees because the flow is just too big. And then are you connecting that flow? Are you connecting the flow of different companies in one? Um, so this is all part of the same problem. And then we saw this uh, coming. On the other hand, we saw other, com other companies who already made attempts to build their own reverse trading platforms, uh, freight tendering platforms. Um, we saw attempts to, to stop using emails as well. And this this process was ongoing until we we finally launched Shipnext, and uh, and this was also um, um, not a new approach, but with the technology we use, it was a bit uh, revolutionary at the time. Um, it was hard. Um, in fact, when I started working on it and I first started talking about it, people laughed. They said, "Look, Alexander, everybody failed. Why are you doing this again? Why uh, you don't want to be the next one?" Yeah. Uh, you know who fails, uh, and I knew what that you know that I have everything, including including the information flow. So this was actually one of the secret sources, because when you build the the, the, the marketplace, uh, you know you want to have information there from day one. So the information from day one on our marketplace was actually our internal data as a shipping company. So if you know if if other companies were smart enough, they would actually use it in their advantage. They would see literally all the cargos and all the uh, ships and all the orders that that my shipping company received and from day one uh, this um, this was the initial flow of course now it's it's much much bigger and but it's not uh, it's not the only way uh, this this platform or shipnext works it's not only about being open 100% transparent of course companies want to manage their own data they want to uh, they want to see only. They, they they want to be the only ones who see the information they receive, and or uh, cooperate uh, on peer to peer basis. But only a few or a handful of companies. Uh, so Shipnext allows all that. It's a uh, it's a it's a platform that can be used in in various ways. You can use algorithm internally and manage your data and not be open. So you know uh -huh. explaining all explaining all that to people what took time right so when we first spoke about it of course there was uh, there was uh, um, a lot of misunderstanding and then people laughed but eventually as time went by they understood that you know the shipping will never be again uh, the same again that this is definitely coming it's a question of time and so we you know we were the, the first ones who who uh, who proved that this is going to be um, the new reality, the new norm. 
we are, we have we are happy there are other startups in the area uh, or in the same segment because this uh, actually proves we were right and it yeah. also uh, makes it inevitable uh, for the whole industry to transform yeah of course no when you said there so companies obviously want to manage their own data and whatnot do you i mean what what's your thought on that do you believe that that is the is that the best mentality to take or should they be looking to to try and take a a, a, I suppose a, a broader view um, and well that's the whole point of well not the whole point of data but the, the real benefits of data is the, the, the larger data set you're going to have the more efficient it can be so do you is, would you say that's and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth but would that be short-sighted perhaps or well there are there are several mistakes you know really fundamental mistakes everybody everybody in transportation uh, uh, makes first of all Shipping is not an industry, right? I keep on repeating this, uh, but but it's, it's it's so important to un- to understand that shipping is just a sector, a sector of the transportation industry. Shipbuilding is an right. industry, yes, but shipping as such, as a process of delivering cargo by sea, is just a sector in the transportation industry. Transportation industry itself competes to other industries, and so you know, being being a sector of the transportation industry. It's all about being a cost factor, yeah. you know. So whatever happens, it will continuously, go, you know, continuously, repetitively try to be the the, you know, the the cost factor that everybody wants to eliminate. So it will always, you know, trend, tend to be uh, minimized in the whole uh, supply chain. Um, you know, second of all, um, uh, tr- you know, in shipping, in transportation, in shipping in particular. There are always mixed roles. You cannot expect one shipping company being always a shipping company. A shipping company can sometimes be a shipping manager. It can sometimes be a broker. It can also be a um, forwarder in case, in, in, you know, from time to time. And it yeah. can also be a carrier, non-vessel owning carrier. The same goes about brokers. You know, some brokers are forwarders. Some of them are supply chain managers. Sometimes the broker may also play a role of a carrier if he if he you know, if he decides to take a ship uh, on time char- charter, right? Or um, or take the deal on himself, on his own, on his company's name uh, and, and so on. And all these mixed roles make make this this uh, sector so complex that you cannot just say, okay, if I, if I launch a platform, it's all, only going to be about bulk because that's a third fundamental pro- pro- uh, mistake everybody makes. They think that launching a platform for, for dry bulk will uh, solve the, 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 or will be workable. No, it's not going to be workable because bulk or MPP, um, these are two parts of the same sector. You cannot draw a clear red line or border between uh, an MPP ship and a bulker because an MPP ship or a multipurpose ship uh, yeah. um, carries bulk and a bulker, uh, bulker carries brake bulk as well. Yeah. Yeah, so there is no way anybody can draw that clear uh, border and say, okay, I've made it here. Please onboard my platform or my service made for dry bulk. If you look at companies like Oldendorf today, there's a big part of their of their their cargo is actually uh, heavy lifts and oversized cargo. They they carry a lot of wind turbines. Yeah, to start with. So would they be interested in a solution that only works for dry bulk? I don't think so. Yeah, of course. Brokers yeah. as well. You see brokers who are SP as well as dry bulk and tanker brokers. So can you expect to offer them a solution which is only dry bulk and you know 
expect them to be happy? No, you're not. And then another thing is that you know what 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 everybody is missing is that uh, you know it's 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 all about uh, emails. And and I can tell you there are a lot of companies that that ex- do not want to be uh, uh, reading emails any longer. You know, and and the information about uh, stored in that email exactly came from the fourth fundamental problem of um, problem uh, or mistake that everybody makes. They all think that digitalization is going to kill brokers. Well, it's actually completely incorrect because in all other industries where digital platforms or marketplaces uh, appeared, it all helped escalate the amount of business. It all helped spark new possibilities. Um, I will give you an example, uh, real estate. You all know in all countries, we have these online marketplaces for uh, real estate. Did yeah. that ever kill any real estate brokers? No, it didn't because it only helped escalate uh, the amount of business. It only helps the search of data, but it doesn't help the actual deal making. And uh, in shipping, as be- being the sector of the transportation industry, there are also professional traders. Professional traders need a professional marketplace. In shipping, we did not have a professional marketplace until ShipNext launched. Uh, shipping marketplaces or any marketplaces are for, pro- for professional traders. In shipping, brokers are professional uh, traders. Uh, would ShipNext kill traders? No, it will not kill because not all companies are uh, strong enough to hire professional traders, i.e. ship brokers, internally. Some, yeah. some of them are too small, so then they go out and they find exclusive or semi-exclusive or competitive brokers, read traders, to help them find shipping solutions. Some shipping companies may not be able to hire uh, internal brokers. You know, there could be a ship owner sitting on an island just uh, working with two or three or a handful of brokers that bring TC deals or period deals, and that's it. They, they, they yeah. do not want to get involved in, in freight tendering or freight trading. Yeah. Yes. And, and even forwarding companies can have their internal um, uh, brokers, i.e. traders. And, and, uh, and trading companies can have their shipping division with these professional traders. So nobody's going to kill brokers. We, we are just there to make this place safer, more efficient, and more transparent in, in, in a sense that you know, there is more clarity and understanding who are you're, who you're dealing with. You could even argue you'll get more exposure by being on such a platform, by being involved. If you use well, the, the, the analogy of obviously the state agents or... Well, this is what we patented. So, so ShipNext is a, is a patented solution to do just that. We understood the necessity to tackle uh, the problem of emails. Because, because as brokers appeared and because emails uh, uh, appeared, there, needed to, uh, uh, there, there was a need for communication. So everybody went into emails, but, but for the last 20 years, nothing else happened. So, you know, this, this, this flow is just unbearable now and everybody needed the marketplace. So we, we, we patented a, a process and the technology of bringing data from emails onto a shipping marketplace for cargo to ship uh, matching or ship to cargo matching and freight trading. And this is a patent that works in US, in Europe, and in several countries in Asia. Okay. So, I mean, 
in terms of for anyone listening, obviously, I mean, what does it really, in the essence, I suppose, what what is the problem that it solves? I know, I know, you've obviously you've given me plenty of examples there, but if we if we boil it down, and if someone that's still listening that isn't one hundred percent sure, like, but well, I, I don't understand that, okay. or I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure on, on how it might affect me or work for me, what would you say to them? Well, it it all first of all it depends on your role. So, for example, you are a broker, and you get uh, five thousand emails a day, um, and you want to you know uh, filter the cargoes and orders on the one hand side and and ships uh, and shipping solutions on the right other. You have the inst- the possibility of doing it instantly. Then, depending on the complexity of the of the freight request you're getting, you, because it, it can be quite uh, sophisticated. You, you can get a freight request that contains a packing list with 285 units or 2,000 units with a packing list in Excel with requirements to find a ship that can take everything on the deck, uh, load the a cargo that is in the packing list, which has a heavy lift unit of 295 tons with a maximum length of 55 meters, and a maximum height of eight meters and all that, well, you will have hard times finding a ship in position with that gear. And if not, not, not that gear, what would be the gear available in the port with the hatch uh, dimensions will be because you, you then start running around to, to find the pocket plan and GA plan for, for, for that. Well, all that, all that information is, uh, so, is searched and managed and handled uh, within a second by Shipnext. So you receive, wow. a, you receive a cargo request, Shipnext gives you right away not only the best ships in position, but it also actually scans all the data there is in the packing list, in the email, with all the restrictions to as much uh, as it can to give you a much better filtered data at the end as a result. And of course, uh, yeah, of course, you are talking about hours saved. Um, we, we made... Uh, and I'm just now talking about brokers, right? So this is yeah, a yeah. use case for brokers. And of course, we made a test and we saw that we are actually improving the efficiency of uh, brokers uh, eight times. So if a normal broker could manage about four to five to six requests per day, looking for a solution for a ship, if at all, right? Because it takes up to three days to find the best ship in position sometimes. Um, well, we, we boiled it down to 40, uh, 40 uh, cargoes, 40 requests that a broker can actually handle per day. If you're talking about a shipping company, right? Uh, uh, a shipping company can, uh, having you know, numerous emails, different email f- uh, uh, desks or, or, or branches or internationally, you as a shipping manager handling a certain route, all you have to do is set an, a number of filters and just see in, in that flow of processed emails, what is that next request that uh, ad- that concerns only your trading area? You don't have to read the 5,000 emails a day anymore. You just have to see what drops in your box that concerns only your trading area. Yeah. Okay. And then last but not least, and, and that could be actually from the email of your colleague who sits on a completely different end of the world. Because it's yeah. all one... As you said earlier on, I suppose it, 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 exactly as you said earlier yeah. on, you're pulling to get uh, together different offices as well, so you're, you're not aware sure. of what's coming from from yeah, different. Yeah, of course. So. 
That because it could also be coming through from Skype or from WhatsApp because we connect that too. It's not only emails. And then, for example, a trader, right? So with uh, with us, traders are capable of uh, working with uh, freight indexes, looking at forward curves and, and uh, predictive analytics and all that. So they could predict one month down the line what uh, how how you know at least to to a great um, accuracy level uh, how will the freights react? Will they have a tendency to grow or fall? And that, of course, uh, reflects on the money they uh, they earn. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's 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 incredible. As <laughs> I can't I can't actually I can't fathom it to be honest. But as you say, is when you don't see it, you don't see things in action. It it just it blows your mind of what's actually capable. I mean, when did you? I will I will give you I will give you something that nobody knows because to to you certainly if you know if you have three companies that say okay we all process emails and we do all match cargo yeah there is one there is one um, there is one aspect that um, uh, everybody's missing right so older companies older players in this sector and everybody knows these older players the the difference is that their products are based on uh, re, uh, regular expressions method. So this regular expressions method in, in, in simple words is that it looks at tags, right? So it, it, it looks at an email and it looks makes these tags. So for example, the problems that could occur is that if you have an email that says mobile uh, double point and your mobile number, uh, in regular expressions uh, method, it could uh, say it could mix uh, this mobile with a port of mobile in the USA. Okay, you know yeah, that, right. Yeah, yeah. In, 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 when you use natural language processing and machine learning, the computer actually reads, uh, the, or the algorithm reads the logic of the email you receive, and because it reads the logic of the email. The email could be as difficult as, for example, having four to five loading ports, seven commodities discharged in four to six discharge ports. And the algorithm tells you the logic that was in that, that, in that email, and it helps you, you know, define or, or build a proper structured uh, request out of that. Right, I understand. Understand. Yeah. And because it's to that, that kind of accuracy level, you can not, not only does it help you to properly match it to the, to the ship, um, but it can also help you make calculations. And that is very important when you go into predictive analytics or building um, uh, current uh, freight mag matrices or, you know, uh, or, or even identifying the, uh, you know, today's freights, freights, uh, freight levels. Yeah. I mean, where did you see the turning point when the market started to to accept, not accept, but where did you see the turning point when the market started to understand and then buy in? Okay, listening to listening to how you obviously describe it, um, I, I'm not a broker, obviously, so I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of day to day, but you can only imagine how when using a platform like this, the marketplace, that it would be very, very, it wouldn't take very long for you to actually just become like I, I don't I can't believe how I used to work. I can't believe how how I used to try and operate. I mean, when did you start to realize that there was well obviously you realized the whole time that there was 
it could work and whatnot. But when did it really start to pick, uh, pick oh, up? I, I think the turning point was um, two years ago, uh, when uh, the whole um, when the whole blockchain uh, topic started to uh, be popular, and yep. uh, the amount of money that f- that has flown into that, um, the amount of bankruptcies that that happened in the industry. But also, uh, but also, I would say the last uh, uh, brick was um, that you know everybody was talking about, and, and again, I, as I said, you know, when I first started talking about this three years ago, and and on conferences, uh, people didn't believe this was going to happen. So this change took place like two years ago, and it was, uh, I think, the final uh, touch was this, um, this actually this mis- misperception that shipping. Everybody thinks that you know shipping will never accept transparency. You're right. It's a very corrupt, very conservative, so to say, industry where you know people, you know, used to say, "Okay, I, I scratch your back, you scratch my back." But at the end, all this is part of the great inefficiency. You know, yeah. whenever you don't want to look for the best shipping solution, whenever you want to go to your best buddy and give him the cargo, you're actually fooling your uh, employer, yeah, you're you're not doing a good job. You're not being efficient enough to look for that best shipping solution today, and and that cannot be sustainable because shipping is a part of the transportation industry and it's com- competing with all other f- ways of or modes of transportation, let alone all the other uh, industries that that also compete. Yeah, like three D printing, for example, or or or. You know all other uh, you know trends towards um, localizing production. So um, and and then when when people started talking about transparency and uh, shipping, people uh, telling them in in reply, sorry, but shipping will never be hundred percent transparent. It all boiled down to actually one point, one one uh, one aspect: how and when uh, would you know? that I have a ship in position if I don't want you to know I have a ship in position. Or I don't want you to know what I did with my ship a month ago or 10 days ago or where I'm going now with my ship. Well, today it's almost impossible to hide that data. It's actually illegal to hide that data. Yeah. So shipping is transparent, full stop. You know, only uh, only a lazy manager, only a lazy company wouldn't know this information today. So shipping is transparent. If you really want to know what that ship is carrying today, you would know it. It's just a question of how much time you spend to find that information. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Right? And then the costs that are involved in that. So Yeah. So it's then if it's possible to at all find out what your ship is doing and where it's going and what it has on board and where it was a month ago, then of course it's all a question of time. How quickly you want to get this information? So uh, you know, uh, expecting that this will never happen is very, very short-sighted. Yeah, true, true, and especially with blockchain technology, it's, it's be a well, blockchain technology is, is the next step. Yeah, of course, yeah. it's the next step because it's all about uh, security, safety, and uh, and avoiding fraud. Yeah, and avoiding fraud. The one of one of the big, as we all know, one of the big problems for the sh- the, the, the the supply chain is uh, the mispresentation of cargo and bills of lading, um, the the mis 
presentation of, uh, of all other things around the delivery of cargo in the cargo documents or, in, or the shipping documents and the payment and so on. So that is all going to be handled then by later on by blockchain technology as one use case. And the other mm -hmm. use case of blockchain is for the data security itself um, and data protection. So we all heard, hear about companies losing data as, as a result of hacker attack. Well, they wouldn't be concerned with this if they would have all their data based on, on blockchain, right? Because if you lose your, your cargo here today, it, it, this, this information is, is, still, is still stored uh, or this data is still stored on many, many other sources and you just rebuild it once you are up again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so earlier on in the conversation, you said obviously that you've, you've done, um, I've seen this as well, You've done a fair amount of talking when it comes to um, dig digitalization and blockchain uh, chain technology within the, the marine industry or the shipping industry or not the industry, sorry. As, as, as you say, it's not an industry, it's a, it's a part of an industry. Um, what, what do you foresee, what, what do you think the changes will be or what can you see happening at the moment um, across the board that, that really affect the industry and can, can change it, can, can improve it, other than what we've obviously hit on because at the end of the day, everything we've said is about increasing efficiencies and increasing performance and, and consequently increasing the bottom line for, for owners, for brokers. The, the more efficient you can be, the, the better you'll be. But other than that, what benefits do you see um, digitalization and blockchain technology having for the industry as a whole? Well, I think uh, all this technology has... Uh, uh, advantages for the end consumer, right? And it's he, he who, the end consumer or the final consumers that drive the whole innovation. They want things cheaper. They want things faster and safer and better. And they are the, the, the final beneficiaries. You know, we can talk about green technology and it's all, uh, it's all about delivering safer uh, technology, well, safer um Technology, of course, as, as well, but safer uh, modes of transport, um, cheaper mode of transport, uh, having them autonomous as a result could also be part of making it safer as well as making it more uh, economically uh, efficient. Um, and so, you know, creating the, this, these new opportunities and, and making the whole industry more efficient and more um, safe and green or economic, uh, ecologically friendly is the final aim or the final result that would uh, come out of this um, innovation trend. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, with Shipnex as well, so this is, this is going back to, to what we were saying there, it seems like in I may be wrong, but it seems like it's almost one of the hardest um, like sectors to do it within would be would be bulk. Um, would it be wrong in saying that? So would it be easier for you to to if you just went for for chemicals or oil, or would that be, would that have been an easier process? Or I'm a way off. I think, uh, and that is actually the f I I've, I listed four, but I think this this is the fifth. Uh, mistake of the industry, uh, fundamental mistake everybody keeps on making as well. And I recently had a discussion with Maersk and they admitted of making that mistake. Um, 
I do not know, uh, and I cannot look far uh, in the future to see how different the ships will look like. Yeah, of course, But yeah. uh, the big mistake people make in the container, uh, they call it container industry, but it's actually, yeah, yeah. you understand now, right? That it's not yeah, yeah. a container industry. It's just a container... Uh, segment. Segment of the shipping sector uh, of the transportation industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah? That, that container is a cargo. Right and and everybody in container business they think that oh my god this this is you know this is it this is our cargo, but in fact what is a container? It's one way of packaging your cargo, just one one method one way of packaging your cargo out of many, because if you look at it like this way, even a ship is a sort of a container, right? It's a large container, True, just, yeah. you know, taking a bigger part pile of your cargo. Uh, and, and this is what we understood from day one, building our algorithm. We looked at the cargo as a, as a number, right? So we, when we had to build our algorithm, you will understand where, where, this, where I'm going to when I tell you the, the, you know, the, the, the process we have been through. So when you, when you start building an algorithm, and I will explain why you need an algorithm, yeah. um, you start looking at uh, building a, a mathematical formula. So in that math mathematical formula, you have to start from ground zero. Ground zero is loading one cargo on one ship from one port of loading to one port of discharge to find the best shipping solution, right? In the ideal world where you only have one cargo on one ship, one of those 70,000 ships loaded from one car one port of loading to one port of discharge. Then you, making it, you start making it more advanced. Then you go into multiple cargos shipped on multiple from multiple ports to multiple ports on one ship. That, that is brake bulk. And on, in, on a brake bulk vessel, you can have a whole mixture of cargo, right? Because for a formula, actually, it doesn't matter how big or small or what shape the cargo is. You're talking about information, right? So you are talking about basically a flow of information. It doesn't care what color it is or, you know, it's all about storing data in, math in mathematical uh, functions. And then finally, you come to containers because a container, con containerized transport is uh, thousands of cargoes from hundreds of places of loading on one ship going to hundreds of places of discharge. And that is not the final, the, the final stage because then you're going into LCL and smaller packages, right? Because a container may have several other smaller containers in it. Yeah. Right. So, and why do you need this formula? Why do you need this formula? Because when you are talking about making a whole supply chain more efficient, you're talking about really billions of data points, billions of data points, all coming in real time, all of them coming in real time. So potentially companies like Maersk, they are now, they come to this problem now as they want to also include heavy and oversized cargo into their uh, in, on, and, and ship them on their lines. And I, you know, I, I speak about this because I also talk to managers in, in, in such big companies and they say, look, it's, it's the, the amount of information we start getting by email about heavy and oversized cargo that we, that, that we need to quote is just becoming too large. <laughs> yeah. We, cannot, we, we don't have time to look at all these emails and to look at all the all the complexity of these cargos to quote them efficiently. So now they start coming to a point where they understand that the box is just, it's not a cargo, it's just one, one way of, of packing cargo on their ship. Because yeah. some cargos are not containerized. 
you know, and in fact, only 20%, 22%, according to official United Nations statistics, 22% of cargo is containerized. The rest is not, and may never be, in fact. Right. You know, so we are not talking about containers as the future, maybe, uh, but it, but so it, it could also be that, you know, more and more companies do ship their cargoes in smaller quantities on uh, ships that do carry containers as well, depending on how quickly and how regularly I want my cargo to be delivered, you know. So this yeah. mix is there. It's, you know, the future of maritime trade is also about this uh, very flexible mix. And how do you control this flexible mix of cargoes and volumes and, and information? Only by controlling the real-time information flows. And, and when they are too big and when you are building an efficient uh, ecosystem, you know, you have, you're dealing with really billions of data points. And for that, you need a formula. Of course. And that obviously leads you into your next part that you're going to say there. So the importance of an algorithm. I mean... Well, to, and, and, and here is a perfect example. We have now two, two companies with a fleet the size of six to 700 ships yep. come to us asking us to help them and to see whether we can build something together. Okay. That's a nice position to be in. <laughs> yeah, because when you want to manage 600 ships, look, it's, it's very difficult to manage it with, uh, with 100 um, brokers in working from six or seven locations in the world, right? Yeah. Of course, you want to make it more efficient. Of course, yeah, of course, naturally. Actually, when, when I'm listening to you talk about that there, it's almost as if you are uh, need a, a, a lot of work, but with the crew change issue, um, given the, the, the whole COVID pandemic, uh, you're, you're, you, oh, it's almost identical in that if you, you treat, and this sounds really, really harsh, it's not meant to, but if you if you take using the the, the, the algorithm for the crew, it, it could some someone doing something similar within that side of the industry could have been massive. It could have been so helpful in terms of obviously changing things. But it, obviously, when you talk to someone like yourself, you just get so many ideas about like Christ, this could work in this this way, and that could work in that way. It could work. It could work all over the industry with, without a shadow of doubt. But it's, uh, yes. I can tell you, I can tell you that, uh, well, crew is a bit different, right, uh, from, course, from, yeah, from what we do. But what I can tell you is that ship brokering uh, companies are concerned today that when their ship brokers work from home and work with their telephone and their mobile uh, or a laptop and they work with their three or four clients, um, having all, their, all the information at their fingertip. Um, ship brokering companies have a hard time understanding what is it that actually keeps their, their managers, their ship brokers in their companies. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing about the industry. That, that's, that, that, that's what it is. It's a, so, it's a, so if you're a ship broker and you can speak to your three, four, five clients and you can have all the information at your fingertip immediately, why would you actually, what would keep you working for this ship brokering company or the shipping company, well, or this forwarding company? Uh, and that is what is very important. And this is what changes mindsets and uh, dictates how digitalized ship brokering companies and what they can invest into for their own managers to be ever more efficient than all the, the independent ones. Yeah. So that, that 
that was actually going to be my next question there. Yeah. So basically, the only way, or I mean, let me ask the question rather than make a statement. What do you feel in order to be successful as a, as a, as a company going forward? You have to be as efficient as as you can possibly be, and then obviously give a better offering. But then, do you think that that will be displaced in that the solutions like your like your solution for independent someone that's working for someone at the moment as, as a broker? Well, we want to. Our role is to make uh, shipping uh, again, like like I would say any other industry. Um, shipping is not only for large brokering companies. So we try to make it a uh, we we try to deliver a solution which works, of course, based on data, um, makes everyone efficient, regardless of how big you are as a ship broker. But yeah. of course, the advantage of sh- larger uh, users of Shipnext is that their brokers collect more data and they store it internally rather than giving it to uh, the open source market, right? So there are different stages at which you connect uh, your internal solution built by Shipnext to the centralized Shipnext itself. And this is actually one more unique uh, point about Shipnext is that, you know, we uh, deliver a white-labeled terminal to, for companies to transform or digitalize their, their whole flow within a day. Right. Wow. Um, and so then you're, you know, you don't have to spend money uh, much or time. You, 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 yeah, Come talk to us within yeah. a day. You transform your company, make it efficient, and you decide how you want to connect to Shipnext, if at all. And of course, once once you use this technology in, internally in a larger organization, the amount of data that all your managers, all your shipbrokers collect in a week, for example, is is much much more than one broker can collect in a week. And that defines how much more you know efficient or stronger you are. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that you are, uh, you know, you are, uh, you're going to be driven out of business as a small broker. No, it just tells you how much more efficient you are, how much more money you will be making, uh, and so on. Yeah. In terms of if we if we come come back to the fact of, of you as a business owner, um, what I mean, where do you think, or what philosophies and strategies are you trying to employ in terms of obviously growing out ship next as a as a a technology um, offering a, a marketplace, obviously, but how, how are you going about building your own business? I can tell you um, this has been an internal challenge for the last four years. When I first launched Shipnext, my shipping managers in, in my shipping company, they, they hated me for it because they thought I'm going to kill them, automate them, uh, drive them out of business. In fact, uh, well, I can tell you... Mm, Partly, they had to change their ways uh, because Varamar is not a ship owner, neither it is a ship broker. So it's that intermediary, a, a ship operator, in fact, who always lived off, you know, knowing uh, more, uh, being more flexible, thinking faster, and being more efficient. With digital technology being that fast and that advanced, um, you know, relying on your you know, personal skill to be much more clever or, or cleverer than any other carrier in the industry or any other broker is, of course, becomes more difficult. So yeah. Shipnext, you know, really escalated that that to, to enormous speed. And of course, my managers in, in my uh, shipping company that I built, 
they were alerted, right? So they had to, they understand that, you know, the, 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 the further uh, down the line uh, this technology goes, the, the more inefficient they become if they do not use it. And, and at the same time, it was a challenge for Shipnext because there was still this misperception, you know, and, and, and inability of people to stop using emails as, as such and switch to, you know, just using the data in its raw form um, and, and, you know, being 100% digitalized. So that gap uh, was something that was challenging to, to bridge uh, in, the, in these last four years. So we are now uh, organically challenging the shipping managers in, 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 in my own, let's say, shipping company, and at the same time trying to make it so as simple to onboard the new technology that it would almost make it absolutely uh, silly not to. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, that was something that that challenged me internally, and this was very, very painful, hard um, to actually disrupt. Yeah, this is the pro- probably the the good a good word, disrupt uh, the old ways with the new technology, disrupting and helping restructure my old vision, or well, the same old company, and bringing it to something completely new. And indeed, this is uh, something we are. Uh, we are going to see in the area in the industry in January. This is going to be the first ever case when a shipping company quotes cargos almost immediately, regardless of how complicated, uh, how big uh, the cargo is, what it is, where it is shipped to, or when it is shipped to. And that will be uh, well the next phase of uh, transformation for at least my shipping company, right? So uh, we are going to see this in January, and I hope uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this how this works. Yeah, well, um, well, I'll be interested to see how it goes as well. But I think it. It's got, uh, do you, are you are you confident this is a home run? Well, uh, of course, I look. Uh, <laughs> you never know, right? Uh, I think Elon Musk n- never knew his rocket is going to land until it finally did. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, home run uh, will uh, uh, will probably be the best uh, the best ending to all this. But for sure, I will not stop. Right. If if it's yeah. not going to be January, and if there will be challenges ahead, I I will n- not stop at that, and I will continue uh, improving. Good man. Good man. Well. Alexander, it's been really, really good talking to you. Absolute pleasure and great to, great to obviously tap into your knowledge and your experience. It's, it's uh, nothing short of, of incredible, to be honest. Before we go, um, just a couple of questions that I'd like to, to put to everyone. And the first one um, just goes into your influences so, or influencers. Who, who or who's been a mentor for you or who have you looked to for encouragement, for wisdom? That may come in the shape of a book, but it might be a, a physical person as well. But what would you say to that? Mm, it's hard to say. Um, in fact, uh, I think I think uh, well. Recently, it's probably somebody who whom I uh, really uh, admire, who uh, who I think is a is a very <laughs> a good innovator, which is Elon Musk, but he wasn't uh, there when I started. I think, um, you know, whenever you try two different industries and you want to, and then you build your career and you um, want to adapt to the ever-changing world, um, you you want to combine the knowledges from these two industries. Uh, for me, uh, it was 
foolish not to, right? I, I worked in, and I was a software developer myself in the 90s, uh, building my own games, building my own software when I was in school and um, late school and early university. But, but, but I, for, you know, I'm also second generation in transport. Uh, my father is and uh, my brother is in forwarding. And when, you know, when you are in digital and you, when you're in transport, it's foolish not to combine the knowledge and see all these, these inefficiencies. So, you know, I think uh, I've been my own mentor in this way, trying to always challenge me in, as, uh, in, in questioning why am I doing this? Why, why is this still not digitalized? You know, why is there still no solution for this? Why are people saying it's impossible? Why? Everything should be possible. It should be a question of time. Yeah. Or, or what is it? Or a question of what is it? Money? Knowledge? Uh, and so I never understood when people said, look, it's just impossible. And that was something that always uh, made me annoyed. So, do, do you think you could have done ship next without starting Varimar? No, certainly not. And this is why a lot of uh, innovators fail because, you know, I as a CEO, I sat down and I, and I you know, involved daily on, in building this, in, in challenging myself first of all, right? And I can tell you, I've, I've taught so many managers to be very good shipping managers. Uh, but then I had to uh, teach a system to be that perfect shipping manager, not to eliminate managers, because there's always this human touch and the possibility to actually negotiate and meet a client that you will never remove. Yeah, yeah. All these routine works and making decisions, cargo to ship matching, you know, and, and all that is easy to automate. So I sat down and I taught the system, the algorithm to, to be just that, the perfect uh, uh, manager, you know, so. Okay, no, I understand, I get that. It, and one other question, this isn't actually part of it, but it was just because of, it seems to be everyone that I've spoken to so far on the podcast, not everyone actually, but most, they've been either second or third generation within the industry and then so do you, especially for you, it may not work for, for others, but you sound like you've got a, a very logical way of thinking, you're a problem solver, you, you look at things from a different angle and obviously take different skill sets that you have and, and put it to play. Now, I don't know if this is, this is a big leap, but when you're obviously much younger and you're, as you're saying, your second generation, do you think that the fact that you had exposure to the market and understanding and freight forwarding from a young age gets you thinking for a lot longer and you see problems from a different perspective because you might have heard of them for ages rather than just coming in, it's a job and you do what you do. You've had, you've had more of an upbringing with it. Well, you certainly have to look at the new generation, you know, because the new generation dictates some new demands or some new traditions or or new mentality and you have to always keep an eye on this uh and i'm i'm sure that there were there are other you know actually this is uh, not nothing to be uh geographic about and and this is what i've seen when i started my company and my and, and the digital company as well people tend to think that you know it's it's all about where you are are you in germany or are you in the usa or in, in Japan, and, and that's where you can build clever solutions. It's nothing about that. You know, clever solutions could be made anywhere by anyone. Yeah. You do need resources, true, 
And uh, you, you do need to learn to build your business, yes. But um, it's, of course, also about being inno innovative. And elderly people, they, they're less innovative and they usually don't challenge themselves, you know, because there is that uh, point of comfort where you reach and then you say, look, I'm going to be there for another 10 years. I've have, I have enough uh, business or enough contacts to live through these the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but younger guys, they have so much to lose, you know, for them, it's a survival. And for me, it was a survival when I first started my shipping company in Ukraine, you know, and then finally when that, you know, when, when we had all these geopolitical challenges there, it was all, all about survival. And so it's, you know, for me, it was either, you know, do or die. And, um, there are a lot of youth, uh, younger professionals for whom, do or die is still the daily reality. Yeah. Mm. No, good point. Very good point. Very, yeah, very I think good. for for uh, Jeff Bez Bezos, you know, do or die was uh, <laughs> yeah. that uh, choice when he was uh, looking for for capital to to uh, to build Amazon, you know, and yeah. he just couldn't fail. I, I, I was um, I've been reading a book by uh, Richard Koch. It's um, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It. Um, and it, part of it is about um, Jeff Bezos. And it, I think it was just before the crash. So obviously, this is not far off when you started Varimar. Um, he, he, his finance director at the time convinced him to take on debt and substantial amounts of debt to build their own um, infrastructure, essentially, to, 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 to enable them to do what they wanted to do. And at the time, it was a very, very risky move. It was the biggest, it was the biggest move they'd made. But within a couple of weeks of making the decision and signing it off, if they hadn't done it, they would have, the company would have went bankrupt. Um, but it also goes back to so, and without that, as you say, you do or die, and you need it to to keep going. Um, even in his earlier career, when he wanted to join uh, Wall Street, then it's yes. Yeah, Without that mentality, it wouldn't it wouldn't materialize. It wouldn't into the, the next company we went into to then obviously move on from there. So it's but it, it is it's, it's 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 amazing to hear and you hear it so many times in so many different ways. But um, yeah, but it's also about not listening to people who say, "Look, it's not going to work." <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. No, but I mean, there it's it's people projecting their ideas on you, and I can only imagine the amount that you must have had. Um, in different different ways and over the years in downturns and starting companies people have said why are you doing this this 2009 it's just the biggest crash in the, that we've ever witnessed why, why would you do it but it's paid off <laughs> um last question then so one i like to like uh, to ask everyone is what is your first memory of um either being in a vessel or your, your first exposure to the industry it doesn't have to be being on a vessel, given obviously your, your, your kind of family ties. What, what's your first memory or story? I think, I think the first memory was when my father took me to the to the port to see a ship, to onboard a ship. And uh, that, you know, looked like completely a different part of, of the world. You know, it looked uh, completely some... Like like a like a spaceship right now would, would look to any younger, yeah. younger uh, person. Um, and that, of course, was very uh, fascinating, you know, the, the, the fact that they uh, just uh, 
sailed off to a completely different part of the of the globe and uh, spoke to different people, traded different cargo. That was the first experience. But then uh, it also, uh, you know, uh, living in Belgium my whole life since uh, or, or be, and before that, it's always in the ports, uh, port city, Latvia before Belgium. And, now, and then in 1990, when I moved to Belgium, yep. was always living in the port in, in the middle of this trade and, and the transport industry. So I've, I've been in it daily almost. Uh, so it's hard to imagine myself not to even eventually be anywhere close to it. So that, that is how uh, I would say uh, I was uh, finally dragged into this. Dragged in. I'm sure you're loving it. Don't kid yeah. yourself. <laughs> well, Alexander, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being in the podcast. Uh, we wish you all the success and all the luck that you you can possibly get. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Thank you, Gordon. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye.